There's nothing quite like getting a podcast together, having all your notes all ready to go, and then two minutes before you press record, the Canucks trade for Tyler Toffoli. Welcome into episode 26. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And we've just uh, bumped our whole timing back here a good hour or so, just trying to digest everything from the big news to come out of Vancouver today. Yeah, uh, the Canucks, I'm sure all of you are aware, have given up a second round pick, Tyler Madden, uh, Tim Schaller, and a conditional fourth round pick in 2022 if Tyler Toffoli resigns with the Canucks. Uh, thoughts, Pete? Well, geez, there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of different ways to look at this. I would let's say, first of all, I was coming into this podcast. I had a whole bunch of notes together on why the Canucks should not go out for a top six winger. I really wasn't on the Wayne Simmons train. I was looking more maybe a depth defenseman bringing someone in uh, because I think they're one defenseman away from having to put Guillaume Brisebois into the lineup, and that's not necessarily what you want to do going into the playoffs. And then this happens. Now, I've long thought that Tyler Defoley would be a good fit for Vancouver. He's yeah. been rumored to Vancouver for a long time because it is a perfect fit. He's played with Pearson before. He's exactly what we need with Bo Horvat. And all of a sudden, Bo Horvat, after not playing with anyone consistently for the last ever, is now playing with the LA Kings. Yeah, exactly. That 70s line, it's like they've they've gone from an old, tired uh, Jeff Carter to a young, hungry Bo Horvat. So my thoughts with all that right now is, yeah, the best player in the trade right now is Tyler Toffoli. So at the moment, the Canucks have won this trade. This is really kind of eerily similar to the whole JT Miller thing all over again. We all lost our minds, and that trade so far has worked out well, but you can't judge it yet because it's going to take some time. The same thing with Tyler Madden. I really like Tyler Madden. I do think he was lost down the center depth chart a bit, and I think realistically, realistically, uh, he's two, maybe three years away from being in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I, the other thing with Tyler Madden, I think, is there's the chance that he wasn't going to resign or wasn't going to sign with the Canucks. Um, the whole out clause for NCAA players, I still think something's got to be done in the new CBA to kind of shut that out because I think it's a shame that players uh, have that ability to kind of walk away from teams a la Jimmy VC. Um, there's a few other guys. I forget the Edmonton – or sorry, he was an Anaheim draft pick, the defenseman there. Same thing. Um, I like Tyler Madden too. I do find it – the timing kind of interesting considering the Beanpot just wrapped up. There was a lot of hype around Madden and with Aiden McDonough as well. So again, uh, and the Canucks were out east uh, during that road trip. I'm not sure if Benning and the management were out there and they talked to Madden and his representatives and there was an inclination that Madden wasn't in a hurry or wasn't going to at least sign this year. And who knows after this year what happens next year because then that would have been his fourth year playing in NCAA and he's obviously not going to sign until the season's over. And once the season's over, he can sign with whoever he wants. So maybe they're, you know, the Canucks felt like they needed to make a push for a player like Toffoli and not getting a commitment from Madden on signing with this club, especially with Madden looking down the middle, being a guy that's probably like you said, and a few other people on Canucks Twitter have pointed out today, you know, is there really a spot for Madden on the Canucks roster right now? And maybe this is more of a, a positive and, you know, I think for Adam Gaudet and how great Adam Gaudet's played this year and how he's getting better and he's been playing really, really well away from the puck, which I know at the beginning of the year was something a lot of Canucks fans and players and coaches were all saying he needs to improve on and he has and he is slowly producing some points. Uh, for me, the one thing with Tyler Toffoli, I don't mind the trade. It does... It, I mean, obviously, depending if the Canucks make the playoffs or not. But, you know, if they do make the playoffs, that means the Canucks don't have a first or second round pick heading into this year's draft, which I'm not thrilled about. But can we re-sign him? I, 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 I have a problem with this trade if it's a pure rental. The thing about the JT Miller trade is we have Miller locked up for another three years after this year. And also they have Will Lockwood in the system who is in a similar boat uh, out of the NCAA. So th there could be something to that. I try and look at it as it is a second and a third, essentially, and possibly a fourth uh, for Tyler Toffoli. When you look at it like that, it sounds better. Tyler Madden was a prospect that we were very excited about, though, in Vancouver. And 
rightfully so, but it's it is going to be tough for him. Even if he was to go pro, I don't see him being on the team with the current center set up for the Canucks for at least two more years. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing I would also say with this trade is the fact that most scouts you talk to have all projected Tyler Madden to play center. So he's not like a guy that you can move to the wing. Uh, you know, I mean, there was talk about Adam Gaudet playing the wing, and he did play a little bit of the wing this year, but they've moved him back to center. Most scouts have him playing center. So I think he is a center in his... And, and right now the Canucks, they're pretty loaded up the middle with centers. And again, if we can re-sign to Foley, I'm okay with this. And we are selling high on Madden. That's the other thing, right? We're, we're selling a guy who has been projected to probably be a first round talent now, two years after being drafted in the third round. So there is some, you know, you got to give some credit to management that, you know, they're cashing in on a, a young, hot prospect where his value is high. The whole re-signing to Foley, I, I'm just not sure right now how that happens unless there's another trade in the works or something happens to clear up space for July 1st because they just don't have any room. I don't even think... Now, I'm, I'm having a tough time understanding this at the moment because Cap Friendly hasn't updated, but my, my math, the Canucks don't even have enough money right now to activate Josh Levo or Tyler Mott onto the roster from LTIR. So I feel like there has to be something else happening here as well. Or they leave them on LTIR until the playoffs because there's no cap come the playoffs, and they can activate those guys off LTIR. You call up guys like Berchi and Goldobin or whoever else you want from Utica, Brogan Rafferty if you want, and you get them up here as well, uh, depending if Utica's not on a long playoff run. But I do think there are systems in place that once a player is medically cleared, they have to be taken off LTIR. So I don't think that even if a guy's healthy, you can have him sitting on LTIR. It's the same thing in our fantasy football. Once a guy is uh, active, he's got to get off that extra spot that's true but i know teams have been able to circumvent that rule from time to time i know the leafs did that with uh uh jordan lupel lupel was saying hey i'm healthy and the team doctor said no you're not shut up and uh yeah you're staying on ltir so i i do think there are loopholes in the system for the canucks to be able to get i honestly didn't think levo would be able to rejoin the canucks anyways until the playoffs, probably with the seriousness of that knee injury. The other thing that I think a lot of people might be looking at, and this could potentially free up a bunch of cap space, is does Besser get put on LTIR? Is the Besser injury a lot worse than we're thinking and we're speculating? And that's why the Canucks made this move when they did. Well, they've been quiet about Besser, and maybe a part of that was leverage with uh, the Toffoli trade. But I also wonder if they're going to make other moves. I mean, a move like this signals that you're going for the playoffs and where are your holes? And I mean, I think the defense, like I keep mentioning, is something that needs some work and you have some RFA situations coming up and I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to see more trades here before next Monday. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, but then what do you give up to get a guy like a Brendan Dillon who's kind of been linked to the Canucks lately? You know, I you're to me, you're still gonna have to give up a roster player to make the money work. I don't know who that roster player is heading the other way. I mean, maybe you give up a Troy Stetcher, but then you have Dylan Fantenberg and Jordy Ben. I mean, to me, you're wanting a guy that is an upgrade over Jordy Ben and uh, Fantenberg, or more so than an upgrade over Troy Stetcher. At least in my opinion, I know Stetcher had a tough game uh, last night against uh, the Ducks. But yeah, I just look at it as where do the Canucks go? Like to me, I think that what this signals to me, this Toffoli deal, I think I won't be shocked if the Canucks are trading Demko at the draft. I could see Demko, if they can get a first round pick for him, great. But I think they'll definitely be trying to get a second round pick for Demko at the upcoming draft. So I think I I agree with that. Um, One thing with Jordy Ben, I think the Canucks need him. He's only a $2 million cap hit next year. Mm -hmm. I think Jordy Ben uh, is actually kind of valuable for the team on the blue line right now. Uh, But with regards to Demko, I can't help but wonder if the Canucks and Avalanche are talking right now with Philip Grubauer going down. Colorado has a lot of cap space. They have a lot of assets and they are in win now mode. And I wonder if the Canucks could be looking at Colorado, maybe a position of strength, and say, hey, we need a first 
or a second and a prospect or something for Thatcher Demko. Yeah, but is Demko ready to take that role on? Like I could see, you know, maybe next year you kind of you, you, you bring Demko in and you your plan is for him to kind of take the starting job over from a veteran backup halfway through the season, let's say by Christmas. But are you going to throw Demko right into the net and, you know, try to go on a long playoff run with him? Especially like you said that they're in this win now mode. It's an interesting theory for sure. But to me, I would think that the Colorado Avalanche would be looking at one of the two goalies in Pittsburgh or if they can pry away Braden Holtby early from the Capitals or something like that. But the thing with Colorado is maybe they could see a goalie like Demko as their future goalie. Grubauer has only got one more year after this, then he's UFA. Pretty much every other goalie in their system is UFA or RFA this year. They're starting Pavel Frankuz their next game because that's who's the next man up. So you could get Demko in there. You could have a Grubauer-Demko rotation through 2021 under $4.5 million combined. And then you make the decision. You have Demko as RFA and you have Grubauer as UFA. And you can say, well, all right, you know what? We're going with Demko now. You have rights with him. He could, they could say, hey, this is our future number one here. And I know what you mean about getting that, that veteran presence, but they may just say, hey, this is the best option available for us in our organization right now. Yeah, I still, I do also worry about the Canucks backup situation then. You just had Richard Bachman go over to Europe to play now. Uh, I don't think DiPietro is ready to be a backup in the NHL, and I think him playing as many games as he can in Utica is important. So who's the player, who, you know, who's the goalie that... You'd, you'd probably get a guy backup. like Frank Kuz or someone coming back the other way yeah. just uh, just as a, as a body, or you make a, another sort of lateral move. But just a couple of ideas I had, but I do think more and more... Going into next season now, there is a crunch on this team with the cap. And Demko does have a great salary as well for next year. So mm -hmm. that's something as well that helps this team. But you kind of need to recoup some assets here. You don't have a pick until the third round in the draft now in a very deep draft. Yeah, and I look at it. Well, I mean, the, I always find it's funny when you get the arguments of, oh, it's a deep draft. Well, if it's a deep draft, that means you should be able to get good value in the third, fourth, and fifth round pick as well. Or third, fourth, and fifth rounds as well. Question for you, Pete. How can this Toffoli trade be a good trade for the Canucks even if they don't are, are if they're unable to resign him. And now obviously you can easily say, well, if they win the Stanley Cup. But I mean, is there is there a possibility or is there a way for this to fully trade if even if he's just a rental to still be a good trade for the Canucks? If the Canucks can get to the Western Conference final. Because to me this year, I do think the West is wide open. And the Canucks have arguably the hottest goalie in the NHL. And they've got elite skill up front. And, you know, they've got a game-changing defenseman in the back end. There, There is a chance for this team to go all the way. Uh, at least make it to the, like, I'm not saying win the Stanley Cup, but they can at least get to the conference final. To you, would that be, would this trade be a win if it's a pure rental to give up what the Canucks just gave up to get to Foley if it gets them to the Western Conference final? Well, th th I guess it's kind of a, a two-part question because for this trade to be a success, uh... You're basically asking then, is is the playoffs enough? I mean, I think right now with the Pacific Division... Well, no, I'm saying they have to win at least a round. No, I know, but, but there, there's two two questions that yeah, you're kind yeah. of asking okay. me here. And so I think with the Pacific Division right now, I do think five teams from the Pacific is going to get in. And I think the Canucks were going to get in before that trade. So I, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, just to say now that they have to get to the Final Four, I think that's pretty tough for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in five years or so. Um, I'm not really sure what makes this successful. I think if you see down the stretch here, a second line that produces now, I think that's successful. If it, if it fills that hole and gives you a more balanced attack, I think that's successful. So I just think to say that they have to get to the final four after this trade, I think that's, that's lofty for a team that hasn't gotten into the playoffs in a long time. I think to really make this trade successful is you need to fully to come in, be effective, be a good fit, re-sign at a reasonable cap hit, find some ways to wiggle salary around creatively in the off season. And then it goes into this whole, like, how do you also find room to keep Marky and maybe keep Tanev? I mean, there's a lot of 
things that this kind of complicates as well, this whole trade. Yeah. So you think in order for this trade to be successful, they do have to re-sign Toffoli? I think it makes it a better trade as long as you can sign him at a a good a good piece or sorry a good if you can re-sign him at a good price but i don't know how they do that right now so it's hard to look at this other than a rental player at the moment and yeah if you win the cup of course it's a, it's a great pickup um i'm not convinced the canucks are there yet this is the beginning of their window and you're going in for tyler Tofoli, and maybe Tofoli wants to stay but then the other thing is if you re-sign to Foley, that takes up your number seven forward spot for Seattle, more than likely. Yeah. So there's also that, and that means, you know, you're exposing Cole Lind or Zach McEwen. I mean, one of those two looks like it's going to have to be exposed anyways. But it, it does create a whole other series of, of moves and that need to get done. And that's why I think there's more to happen here because the Canucks are right up against the cap and activating players is going to push them over. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Toffoli's having a really bounce back year from last year. Last year he played 82 games. He finished with 13 goals, 21 assists, 34 points this year in 58 games. He's got 18 goals, 16 assists for 34 points. So he's tied as of now, he's tied last year's point total in uh, was it 12 less games. Um, or 14 less games, pardon me. Um, or no, 24 less games, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so he's having a bounce back here, and I definitely think playing on a line with Horvat and Pearson, or even potentially if you put him up, if Besser's out for a while, I mean, again, poor Horvat. You know, every time it seems like they're getting a winger for Horvat, that player gets popped up to the first line. Um, he could, you know, I think Toffoli could finish the year easily with 25, you know, 28 goals for the Canucks. I could see him potting 10 more goals before the end of the season if he gets on a hot streak. Toffoli, in my opinion, plays with Pearson and Horvat, and that's it. You don't touch that line for the rest of the year. You move Vertanen up to the first line with Besser out. Yep. But you don't you don't touch. You let that Horvat line go because there's going to be chemistry there. You got chemistry with Horvat and Pearson. You got chemistry with Pearson and Toffoli. Logically, there'll be chemistry with Toffoli and Horvat. So in my opinion, it's that. You don't touch it, and you can play around with who plays with Miller and, and Petey until uh, Besser comes back. But for me, it's for Tannen going back up there and locking him in on that first line uh, until Besser comes back. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, Vertanen was producing really well for, on that first line. Then obviously, once he got bumped back down to the third line, his production slowed down a little bit. And then I guess for the third line, you'd probably, it would be Goddett, Russell, and Sutter, I'm guessing. Maybe you put McEwen up there. And then obviously the fourth line, you'd have a combination of Beagle, maybe McEwen, Sutter, and Louis. A lot of there's a lot of parts in that bottom part of the lineup right now. McEwen's an interesting one in there, but yeah, it's uh, it's it, it sucks to lose Tyler Madden. Um, realistically, though, uh, people were talking that uh, Cole Lind was going to be the player going back the other way. Uh, I was I'd rather it was Tyler Madden than Cole Lind. See, I'm kind of on the opposite of that. I I would prefer it to have been Cole Lind, even though Cole Lind is farther along in his development. To me, Colin, you have to protect with the upcoming expansion draft. So Tyler Madden, you don't have to protect. So you he's you you got more control over him as a prospect. There's a chance that you can lose Colin for nothing, or the Canucks are gonna have to give up a draft pick to make sure Vegas does or sorry, not Vegas, Seattle doesn't take him, which I hope they don't, because we saw how teams got literally fleeced by Vegas left and right. Um where, you know, teams are trying not to lose a specific player. So yeah, for me, Colin would have made a little bit more sense just from like a asset management perspective. But if Madden, and again, pure speculation here, but if Madden wasn't planning or, you know, was looking at the current Canucks roster and was trying to figure out where he fits on the main roster and he didn't want to spend two years in Utica, there's a good chance that Madden was like, he didn't want to sign and he could go to a team like LA and kind of jump the gun and, you know, potentially be in the NHL next year. Well, that was what I was, was going to say, is that there's no guarantee that Tyler Madden was going to play. I mean, you don't have to protect him, but there was no guarantee that he would actually be a Canuck. So 
for me, Lind, a winger, he can, he's further along. Um, I think Lind is going to be on the team next year. Uh, so he's closer. Doesn't he have to pass waivers next year, by the way, as well? Like after training camp, I think he has to clear waivers next year. I Him don't think and he, he hasn't played any NHL games, so I'm not sure. But how I think he'd if you've to. played two years of professional hockey, I, I could be wrong though. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I thought I heard someone say that Lind will have to. He will be waiver eligible next year. I could be wrong on that though. I, again, waivers always. It's always a little bit confusing to me. He is currently waiver exempt this year, but next year, next year's the year that I think he might have to, um, but again, that's a problem for next year. Uh, we're talking about this year and I'd like to fully, I, I, I agree. I think he is a guy that will definitely help this team out, especially if Besser is out long-term. I, you, you speculated something earlier in our conversation, Pete, which I totally agree with that, you know, maybe the Canucks were being a little bit quieter on the Besser injury and the severity of it because the leverage they could potentially lose in trying to acquire a player like Toffoli. But I guess the case can be made. The Canucks gave up quite a bit for what seemingly now looks like a rental. Yeah. Um, Cole Lind doesn't need to clear waivers next year. Okay. Uh, well, 21, 22. Uh, he may need to, but uh, he doesn't need to clear waivers okay. next year. So we're we're good on the, on that front for now. Um, are there any other thoughts you have about Canucks potential trade targets if they're not done? I mean, to me, this doesn't look like the Canucks are done. Uh, it's a depth defenseman. Um, I'm curious to see if they flip Stetcher into a depth defenseman in one way or another, a lateral defensive move uh, or Stetcher into picks. I'm still curious to see what they do with that. Um, I'm not convinced that there's room for Stetcher on the team next year. And uh, a part of the way that the Canucks can really work with some flexibility in the cap is to use some of these entry-level deals. And a guy like Stetcher could be replaced by a Yolevi or a Rafferty quite easily. I think so. I'm curious to see what they do there. Um, I'm curious to see if there's any salary up front. They're able to drop most notably Sven Berchi. If they can find a way to move him, that would be nice. Um, Is Berchi UFA after this year? No, he's got one more. He does got one more. Okay. And uh, I think there, I think a lot of those moves may be more for the off season though. So I think, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I do feel like there's something else, though. If you're doing this piece, I think there's going to be something to address the blue line. But I wouldn't be surprised if they came out of nowhere with a with a Demko trade or something like that. But, um, well, no, I would be surprised if they did it right now. Yeah, to, to me, Demko, it makes sense for him to be moved in the offseason, not not now. I mean, again, it's intriguing. If, if, if Colorado's offering you a deal you can't refuse, obviously you're going to take a long, hard look at that. But I think Demko more than likely will be traded in the offseason, probably to recoup one of the first or second round pick. Off the top of the show, obviously, uh, our whole uh, plan for this show got imploded. Mike uh, was supposed to be on the show with us today. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it. Um, we haven't even done our plugs yet. Uh, give uh, We're the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Canucks Speak. Uh, my name is Doug. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And I'm at Pete underscore gas. And we also have the Spotify playlist with all the funky beats. We'll be adding a new one onto it this episode as well. Canucks speakeasy outro playlist. That's a mouthful. Give it, give that a follow and a listen as well. Um, should we get into some chirping? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we, we're, we're kind of off script here, so we're uh, we're definitely going uh, free flowing. So I, I agree. Uh, let's uh, let's break this up and do some chirping, and then from there we can uh, talk about the week that was. Sounds good. Yeah, getting a, a Toffoli trade and losing our guest in uh, the half hour before we we're going to record really kind of threw us off this week. So bear with us, people. We're we're new and we're trying. All right. Well, uh, I've got a couple chirps this week, so I guess I'll start them off, Pete. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so my first chirp is from Jez. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ZeroPucksGiven. And his tweet is, I don't understand the mass attachment to Stetcher. If he wasn't a local kid, no one would bat an eyelid at the thought of trading him. He will always be a 5'6 guy. The shouts to keep him over Tanev are completely nonsensical. Rafferty, Yolevi will Rafferty or Yolevi will take his spot in time. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, 
I, I've I've always liked Stetcher. He I, I think a part of it as well was for that last year or two, he was kind of a number three defenseman for us by default. I don't think he is. I think he is a five or six at best. Um we've seen a few gaffes from him lately, which doesn't help kind of the public's opinion of him. Tanev is one of our top three defensemen. I would much rather keep Tanev over uh, Stetcher myself right now. Um, and and again, the price tag that Stetcher is going to command makes things really tight uh, moving forward with the team. So I, I know that there is a bit of a love affair with him, but realistically, in my opinion, he's an expendable and replaceable defenseman. Um, I'm not sure what the return will be, but I do think he's going to get traded at some point before next training camp. Yeah, or they could just not qualify him, which makes him a free agent a la Ben Hutton. I think there's more of a market for Stetcher than for Hutton, though. Um, I think Stetcher is a better player. I think the Canucks could get something for him. Um, but you also I, hate Ben Hutton. <laughs> well, I, I just did not think Ben Hutton was a very smart hockey player. I agree. I, I, was, I agree. He was part of that defensive quagmire that was messing up our team for a while there. Stetcher isn't usually a liability. He can do a lot of things pretty well, uh, none of them exceedingly well. The local kid factor certainly helps him, but I I find it tough to see him being around when, like I said before, the Canucks need to use some entry-level deals, I think, next year to kind of get their cap situation in place. And Yolevi or Rafferty or both need to make the jump next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, I got one for you now uh, from Jabo Vancouver, a friend of the show. You can follow him at, well, I should say them because they do their own podcast as well, just a bit outside. Uh, You can follow them at Jabo underscore Vancouver. He says, the best organizations draft quantity and quality. And when you do that, you trade from a position of strength to fill the weaknesses in your roster. That's exactly what this is. Hashtag Canucks. So this was a tweet that came in just before we started recording. So this is referring to the Foley trade. I agree with the sentiment that you build prospects, you build your cup, you try to stock your cupboards with prospects and picks to be able to trade them from uh, a position of strength. The only thing I would say is, did the Canucks really need another winger? I know you had a whole spiel you were ready to come out with this week on how the Canucks didn't need another winger and they should be looking to add another depth defenseman. I mean, if you can add a top four defenseman, that'd be great, but I don't think the Canucks were going to be able to do that without giving up the farm. Um, but I agree with the sentiment of what Jabo is saying in that tweet. I just I don't know if a winger was what they needed. Um, I, I Another player that I haven't heard be linked to too many teams but is definitely available and I think could definitely help the Canucks is uh Vatnin out of uh, Jersey yeah Sammy Vatnin uh he he could be uh as well um I I I'm I I have long said here I don't know if the Canucks should go for a winger but if they were to go for any winger Toffoli was the winger I was interested in um yeah, and, and you do do uh, you know we're bundling some magic beans here for for assets. We don't know what we've traded, and we won't know for a while. But by stockpiling assets, you do give yourself that leverage when you feel like you need to make a move, and that's something that the team hasn't had in really uh, a good chunk of this time when we were down and out. No, and I agree. And as we stated before, you know, I do think the West is wide open this year. And the Canucks are being aggressive and they're jumping the gun on teams like Edmonton and teams like Calgary. And who knows what Arizona is doing with Taylor Hall. There's a lot of buzz that, you know, they could be looking to flip, reflip Hall for something because since Hall's joined the team, they've really started to tank and, you know, they've fallen out of a playoff spot. So it'll be interesting. Um, All right, moving on to my second chirp of today. Uh, This one is from Michael Paweska. You can give him a follow at Mr. Paweska. I'm still a bit baffled as to how more toughness will protect PD from the abuse. Myers responded to PD getting hit immediately. Do hashtag Canucks now need more toughness to protect Myers from maraudering Manson types? How much do we need before the skill level suffers? I could I could answer this one for a long time. Uh, the biggest problem to me isn't the Canucks. It's the NHL and it's the officiating. And just that the officiating in that Anaheim game the the other day was so bad, so many, and not just 
against the Canucks. When Manson came in and hit Myers like that, I don't know how Manson didn't get an extra penalty out of that. And earlier in the game, there's a blatant trip by the Canucks on the Ducks that didn't get called. And the whole thing to me, the NHL has just lost, I think they're losing the players and I think they're losing a lot of the the kind of the integrity of the game. So for me, that's the bigger problem. Uh, toughness and the Canucks, they seem to get the wrong players a lot of the time when they do this. They The guy who looks really good doing it right now is Zach McEwen, and I'd say Jake Furtanen does as well, but they can also bring something to the table uh, offensively. Um, I don't think you need to get more toughness. I do think the team is sticking up for each other ever since the Boston game. They've had more fighting majors since the Boston game than all the games before that. What is it, like 6-4 to now? I believe so, yeah. So they've had six six games or so since Boston and four in all the games before that. So they are being more physical. It's just, I, I again, I think that if the NHL watched what's happening to the star players out there, there would be less of this needed because guys like Petey take 20 slashes a game. If he's called 20 slashes a game, as a penalty should be a penalty at any point in the game, that's going to stop and they don't need it. But as long as the NHL doesn't protect their star players, there's always going to be a need for some of this stuff and I don't think they need to add anyone else in Vancouver. I think they're doing a better job of standing up for themselves. But again, this is a, this is a bigger problem than just the Canucks toughness. Yeah. I I will just add a quick little point to this. I do think that just the fact that the Canucks are standing up for one another, you don't have to fight. That was always my issue in previous years when the Canucks wouldn't kind of stand up for each other. When I know Besser got you know, I took a big hit a few years ago. Uh, I'm not even talking about the hit that was laid on him by uh, Clutterbuck. I mean, the, it was the LA, I forget who it was. Maybe it was uh, Alec Martinez or someone like that. Anyways, uh, it was a, kind of a cheap shot on Besser from behind. Besser got the ultimate revenge and scored a power play goal. But there was just nothing. Like, no one, you know, went and, again, I think it was Alec Martinez's face and, you know, gave him a face wash or at least try to tell him, hey, man, you can't do that. You don't need to fight. I like the fact that the Canucks are, you know, starting to drop the gloves. Not that, you know, I think fighting should be in hockey anymore, but just the fact that they are showing other teams, hey, you're not going to be able to run our players like you have been in the past. And to me, that also goes to show that this team is really starting to gel with one another and they are starting to kind of grow with one another. And, this is now this core's team, right? Obviously, we had that transition year last year with the Sedins retiring. They didn't name a captain. So I felt like last year, even though PD came in and he set the world ablaze, there was still a lack of identity with this team, where now you're kind of seeing this team and the identity they have. And even guys like, you know, Tanner Pearson, who's still relatively new to the team, you know, has been getting physical and getting in people's faces and that's what I want to see. I just want to see that. And I think the Canucks have enough of that in the current iteration. I don't think they need to add guys like Wayne Simmons. Josh Anderson is a is an intriguing player. I, I think they're completely out on that with the addition of Tyler Toffoli. But a guy like him who gives you that strength and toughness but can also pot 25 goals with regularity is a very rare player in today's NHL. Yeah, I think you have enough tools on the team to give the – toughness that you need they just they weren't really doing it and I think after Boston I don't know if Bo had a players meeting or if the team did and ever since then they they seem to be pushing back more now um I've got one more for you here this is for um, a friend of our the show here down under our buddy Tesh that guy you can follow him on Twitter at quackery that's k-w-a-k-e-r-y he says, can we get a hot take from two drunken BC lads on this Biz Nasty versus Carcillo beef? And uh, unfortunately, we aren't drunk. I'm not even drinking these days. I'm I'm off the sauce. But what do you think uh, about that whole Biz Nasty and Daniel Carcillo thing on Twitter? I don't really know a ton of context be about it. I know that Carcillo like, retweeted with a comment post or it was an article about biz nasty you know and how he's you know changing the game or the you know outside of hockey he's becoming a bigger deal than he was in the game obviously and i didn't think what carcello had initially said he was just saying you know the fallout from the ronick um 
are trying to whatever it was it was he made a comment about you know the fallout of Ronick being fired from NBC from you know Ronick's interview on spit and chicklets I, apparently the piece the article that was written was actually before the Ronick uh incident on spit and chicklets and then obviously Biz Nasty just dropped a bunch of gar- like you know skeletons out of the closet on Carcillo um yeah it's it's tough man like Carcillo has, I think, been very upfront with the way he's talked about how he wasn't a good guy. He was a prick. You know, he wasn't a nice person. He wasn't a genuine human being. And he did a lot of wrong. And I think he's trying to right those wrongs in his own way. Sometimes it can be misguided. And sometimes, like a lot of people, especially with social media, kind of speak out of line And clearly there's a lot of history between Carcillo and Bizanet that, you know, Paul Bizanet that we don't know about. And I think for whatever reason, you know, Biznasty just, you know, arced up and reacted to what I thought wasn't really a, I didn't think, you know, Carcillo was trying to ruffle any feathers or anything like that with what he said. He was just misinformed about the timing of that article coming out and he thought it was just damage control with the Ronick situation. Um, But some of the things that, Biznasty said about Carcillo are very concerning and Carcillo to his credit didn't deny them said that yeah you know he was kind of a you know xenophobic you know what seemed like well I shouldn't say what seemed like you know had some pretty questionable moral beliefs and thoughts uh and you know seemed like he was you know a racist person and I hope that he has found a way to not be that way anymore and sometimes people just have all this hate in them and it's it's just so uninformed and misguided and for me I do want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they can change their moral compass and sometimes you know just being around people of different ethnic backgrounds and different you know cultures makes you realize that we are all the same and we all are one person and yeah uh i don't know what do you think pete yeah it's um there's a lot of history there uh, it's it's certainly interesting i know carcillo uh, has said he has law enforcement people with him in Canada right now because he's received threats. So uh, it's there's there's definitely a lot more to this than we know of. Uh, it's two big personalities in the hockey world off the ice right now. They are fighters on the ice, uh, just naturally combative people. Um, I don't really know what's true and what isn't, but there's definitely a lot more to this there. I know some other people have gotten involved. JR was in there as well. And those are some big people. I don't want to get in between all of them. So No, I mean, I, I do think Carcillo in his own way is trying to right a lot of the wrongs that he did. And he's trying to call out a lot of the hypocrisies in professional sports as a whole. And, you know, I... <sighs> He's a big advocate of like CTE and, you know, how the NHL is denying that and stuff like that. But I also don't like when people just try to blame CTE for bad behavior, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm sure all of us watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary and it was a very fascinating documentary. But and obviously after he died, the family, you know, gave his brain over to research to be studied. And it turned out he had severe case of CTE. But I still don't think that's an excuse for someone to go and murder people, right? I still don't think, you know, CTE is an excuse to be racist and xenophobic. But I also want to say that I hope Carcello, and it seems like he is, realizes he was not a genuine person and he's trying to right some of those wrongs. Can we forgive people for that? We forgave Ryan Kessler. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, totally different, but Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move along because the way we're going to start this show originally was talking about the Sidines and the Sidine week and all that transpired from there. Uh, Tyler Toffoli has derailed this whole podcast. And uh, let's now kind of take it back to what is actually happening on the ice this past week. We only had two games. They weren't the greatest of games, but let's start with the Twins week and, of course, the retirement night on Wednesday 
uh, we were there. We had some fellow podcasters there, some fellow Twitter people, just a really good group of people. And there's quite the buzz in the arena that night. How did you think it all went down? I thought the Canucks, uh, as a management group and as a as a spectacle, did an amazing job. I mean, obviously, the stars of the show were the Sedins and a close third to Daniel and Henrik was Kevin Bieksa. And just the whole way everything was set up and they had all the trophies lined up as well on the little carpet area, I thought was a really nice touch. And, you know, they had everybody there. And a lot of those people, and I know a lot of jokes were being made about having to plan, and you and I were having to do this actually for the game, the seating arrangements and just making sure how the seating arrangements were going to go. Because you had, you know, Gillis and Benning and Linden and obviously Aquilini all sitting down there. Um, So that was interesting. And... You know, they all came there and they all put their grievances aside to pay respects to the Canucks or sorry, to the Sedins. Uh, Brian Burke as well was also there and Dave Nonis was there. And so I thought the Canucks team, whoever put that whole ceremony together, did a great job. Shorty deserves a lot of credit. He was an amazing MC as well. Uh, yeah. And, you know, even Daniel and Henrik hearing their speeches was nice to hear them, you know, thank the players and tell some stories and obviously talk about their family and stuff like that. Uh, overall, it was just a really, really good night capped off with a great performance by Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, it was Markstrom and very little help around him for the rest of the night. Uh, Bieksa, fantastic job. Everyone was talking about that. The w- welcome back to Ryan Kessler was great to see. Um, just looking at those personalities there as well. Linden got a great crowd. Uh, sorry, Linden got a great response as well from the crowd. Um, and just, you know, we had Burroughs and Luongo and, uh, you mentioned all the former GMs there as well. It was, it was pretty cool to see all that. Uh, I thought they did a really good job as well. The other thing I liked, sorry to interrupt really quickly is the fact that Mark Crawford, assistant coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, he was there. So he was actually standing on the bench during the ceremony and they looked back and mentioned him. And then obviously the camera in house showed Crawford and he got a warm ovation as well. It's pretty rare when you get that many high standard Canucks alumni all together at once. And I thought they did a really good job. I I, I loved it. Uh, the game was the Marquee show again. Uh, he just just killed it. And really, out of these last, we've only had two games in between podcasts, which is which is a rarity. Uh, they weren't. I mean, we won in Chicago, but we didn't even show up against Anaheim. Just a, a really disappointing loss. And this is kind of being a bit of a trend lately with the team is that they just they've they've kind of lost a little bit of a step as the season's gone on right now. Markey has kept them in it, but Chicago should have won that game. And yeah. uh, Markey's kept them in a few games lately uh, that they had no business of winning or being in and that are averages and evens out over the course of the year. But I think, again, that's maybe why they've gone after Toffoli here. Um but what do, what have your thoughts been on these last couple of games here? Well, yeah, I mean it's interesting they they go and add you know more offense to the team, but I honestly think it's been their defense the last couple of games that's really struggled. And you know you look we were playing Chicago and you get out shot was it forty eight to twenty two or or twenty four I think it was, um, so nearly you know two to one shot margin there. Um, also note, uh, that was actually the highest save total by a Canucks goaltender for a shutout in Canucks history, 48 saves. So congratulations to Marky for, uh, getting into the Canucks record book. But yeah, to me, I, I agree with you. I think their defensive play the last couple of day- games or the last, you know, week or two is been lacking and it's been Markstrom's you know playing out of this world that's kept them in most games and even Demko when he's been called upon the the Anaheim game yesterday was you know that was definitely a bad game uh Demko led a couple of soft ones and I thought and then again there was some pretty bad defensive breakdowns uh but to me it's the defense and I I don't know what it is I don't know if you know they're getting out of position or you know they're pinching too much on the offensive end so there's always odd man rushes coming back but uh, yeah the defense definitely needs to look itself in the mirror and try to figure out a better game plan I don't think it's all just the defense but the defensive game like for me and, and I know I keep saying this but the Canucks breakouts and getting the puck out of their own zone has been really bad lately they have numerous opportunities to get the puck out of danger 
and and they just don't there it, it which creates more shots and more attempts that i feel like they're very passive when they're working the box they and then when they actually get possession they don't really have the outlet and i first started noticing this when hughes would break it out and he would drop it I'm like why on earth is quinn hughes dropping it back and there's something with this coaching staff whatever they're doing with how they break the team out it just doesn't seem to be working and they should be a better transitional team. They should have a better plan when they get possession and how to get the puck out of the zone, but they don't, they take that second too long and they look for a pass instead of clearing it. And for me, that's where a large part of the problems lie. Um, and as you know, and we've said countless times, I do believe that the defense would have been better addressed through a trade than a forward, but I'm open for Tyler to fully to prove me wrong. And hey, look, the Canucks, I mean, deadline's uh, Monday. I believe we'll be podcasting Monday, so that so next week. So that will be another interesting episode. Uh, please tune in. Um, so who knows? They could address the defensive woes that they've had the last couple of games as well. Um, but yeah, and they you know, Minnesota, for whatever reason, they played the Canucks tough this year. Um, and they got Minnesota up next. And then you and I are going to the Boston Bruins game on Saturday. That's going to be another tough test. You know, the Bruins, last time I checked, were number one in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, they're a mean team. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully, uh, Toffoli, you know, gets amalgamated with the team. And, you know, he uh, finds some early chemistry. And we're still waiting to hear what's happening with Besser. Uh, Besser, in my, you know, by all accounts, he could be l- looking, you know, to be put on LTIR. And that could free up a little bit of cap space for the Canucks to make maybe another addition. And uh, we'll see. It's dangerous, though, because the Canucks are already so far over the cap. Um, to, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Furland again, but I think the Canucks are now about $5 million over the cap as it sits. So it's, it's dangerous to kind of use Besser money uh, towards more players, I think. Um, but I think right now um, goaltending has been good. Forwards being hit and miss. Our leading scorers in between podcasts, you know I always like to do this, is the only multiple-point player, and he's got four points, is Brandon Sutter. No one else is more than one point, but I guess, you know, that's what happens. We only, only score four goals. Well, but, he also had three points in that uh, Sedin game. Yeah, he's been in on every goal this week, though, Yeah, Brandon Sutter. He's which, looked good on the first unit power play. Yeah, he's he has. I was, I was kind of criticizing that move, and then he starts going on this tear, but... Uh, Maybe he's a guy who can also look at trading while his value's high, but I think the team really likes him and what he brings to the roster. Um, but yeah, defense still to me is a bit of a question mark, and just they, they haven't been playing with this passion, and this is where you look to a lot of these vet guys, and you say, hey, we brought in guys like Beagle and Sutter and Roussel to help lead this team down a push here. I want to see them do that. Yeah, I I agree. Um and I also want to see a guy like McEwen get a fair shake. You know, it looks like Furland, you touched on this before, and you know, I guess we can kind of segue into this a little bit, but Furland obviously had his conditioning stint down in Utica, lasted less than a period, uh, started having uh, concussion-like symptoms again. He was shut down for the rest of the game and more than likely will probably be shut down for the rest of the year. So I would like to see a guy like McEwen, who I thought, has probably been one of the better Canucks the last couple of games. Uh, get a fair, decent shot with this team for the rest of the year. I think he deserves it. Well, with Schaller going away as well, that's, I mean, you're, you're obviously bringing it to Foley, but that's a bottom guy that he was fighting for time with. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I really like the play of Zach McEwen. But for Michael Furland, if he doesn't get shut down for the year now, I w- I'd be very surprised. He's got to get shut down for the year. Well, I look at last year and how cautious the Canucks were and some people will say no but again people don't realize that doctors and medical examiners and the players all kind of have a influence on the player playing and when he plays and doing conditioning stints stints and how hard he pushes himself on the ice um but the Canucks were pretty careful with uh Sven Berti last year um with his concussion symptoms and so I think I can't imagine them not being doing the same with uh, Michael Furlan this year. Yeah, I think um, I, I'd be surprised if we ever see Furlan play again, to, uh, to be honest. I I don't think he's going to come back anytime soon. What uh, happens with that? Like, because we signed him to a four-year deal. What was it? Three and a half million. Yeah. So do we get, do we get cap relief? Well, yeah, he just stays on LTIR. 
So okay. it's kind of a similar thing to what happened with Marion Hosa and Pavel Datsuk and Ryan Kessler longer and Ryan Kessler. Is, yeah. So when a player's on LTIR and again, yeah, I should probably know this, but when they're on LTIR, none of their salary counts against the cap. No. Okay. No, I, I believe it's, uh, it frees up everything that, that is there. I'm not sure if there's exemptions to it, but basically if you're on LTIR, you, uh, you're, you're not counting against the cap. Okay. And again, there may be some loopholes. It gets really complicated into the IR and LTIR with what, gets counted and what doesn't but ltir is basically cap relief okay so you're just going to get used to when you look at cap friendly for the next few years if he doesn't play again just seeing michael Furlan's name on ltir and be like, oh yeah i forgot about him i hope he's doing okay well chris pronger i think for what seemed like five six years yeah was on ltir for philly he took a job with the league while still being on ltir which i thought was a little ridiculous yeah it's uh, it's uh, that that whole thing was strange and I think Arizona at one point uh, they they had Pavel Datsuk and Marion Hosa on the books because they were just taking that salary. But again, I'm not exactly sure how that works because I thought it was LTIR. It, it gets really kind of confusing, I think, uh, with all that stuff. But yeah, basically, don't have to worry about Furland's cap hit because uh, that is going to be LTIR. Of course, if he does come back, then it's going to cause all sorts of complications. But I, I really don't see that happening right now. Um, Zach McEwen seems to be a good fit. I think he's got a future with the team and another guy that you should hopefully be able to re-sign at a realistic contract and fairly low cost and be in the top 12 or 13 forwards for next season. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. But, like, you know, you're looking into this upcoming free agency and the Canucks have three players that I would like to them to resign. I think Markstrom's going to be number one on their list. So Markstrom's probably looking at six, six and a half million. Then you're looking at Tanov that you could probably hopefully get for five and maybe to fully for five. That's $16 million the Canucks would need to sign these three players. It's not going to happen. Well, right now there's no way the Canucks can sign to fully. There is, there's no way. Uh, I just don't see it happening. The only way it happens is if Maybe the Canucks find a, some magical way to trade Louis Erickson, uh, or maybe Louis Erickson decides after his bonus to walk away and go to Sweden. Why would he though? Like he's making so much money. Yeah, it's. Uh, but there's no way right now that the Canucks can keep all three of those players. Uh, it's quite conceivable that they can do all those players except for Toffoli and still be able to sign some of their RFAs, like for Tannen, Godet, McEwen. I think they can do all that. There's ways to make that all work. Um, but I just uh, I don't right now see a way that uh, Toffoli gets signed unless they're able to get creative and move some players around uh, out of there. There's just there's a lot of things that that are happening in terms of dead space on the cap for this team next year. You've got Bear Cheese right now is about two point three million. You got Spooner still that one million. You got the Luongo three million, and then you got yeah, the PD and Hughes bonuses, which are going to count to about three point seven million against the cap. Yeah. So all that is ten million right there uh, that you have to take into account. So it, it, there's got to be some creative ways to do it. Uh, I've been playing with all these different models all week, um, and this Toffoli thing. I just kind of laugh at that right now. It's like there's not five million bucks for Toffoli. Question for you: What's more important for the Canucks moving forward, adding draft picks or shedding salary? Right now, shedding salary. I agree. Uh, They have prospects. It's not like they have a depleted prospect pool. You've Mm -hmm. got... They were just ranked uh, seventh, wasn't it? Sorry? Weren't they ranked seventh? Wasn't there someone... Yeah, the hockey Raiders had them seventh, but it was with Tyler Madden, so they probably fall a little bit. Ironically, LA was already number one, and they had Tyler Madden. Uh, Forward-wise, you know, you have guys in the pipeline, and there's really no spots next year. Assuming that you re-sign your RFAs, you promote maybe a Cole Lind or a Justin Bailey. There's there's no spots for guys like Hoglander or Pod Coles, and obviously he's he's two years away. Anyways, the blue line is where you can maybe promote a couple guys next year with Ulevi and Rafferty, um, but you don't need to necessarily have picks that come in right away. Uh, the salary cap right now is very tight for the Canucks, and they need to get some flexibility there. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that's that's top priority. Uh, right now is this off season is is finding some flexibility yeah I, I i agree another guy who could come over as well is nikita tramkin that's another interesting one whether or not he's 
a useful player is still to be determined, but he's another guy that I, I, the only way you can really bring Tramkin into the fold, I think, is if you walk away from Tanev, and I'm not so sure that you do that. I mean, you got to think teams are going to line up to pay Tanev a lot of money, especially the fact that he's played all, what, 58 games this year or however many games we've played this year. Uh, I look at Tanev as a guy, right-hand defenseman, which are a premium uh, in the NHL. Uh, he's he, he brings you those intangibles, and he's a good shutdown player. He's a smart player. Teams, I, There's a lot of teams that I think will be lined up to give Tanev a lot of money, whether or not he wants to stay in Vancouver for a hometown discount. But can the Canucks even afford a hometown discount? Well, I, I figure if, if you were able to get Tanev on a few-year deal here, for about 4.9, so about a 10% bump on what he's making right now, you can make it work. But if teams are going to go into the 5.5 or something north of that, I think you you lose him. So I think that's something that Canucks should be talking with Tanev and his agent right now. So what sort of money are you looking at? And if he's saying 5.5, I still don't think you trade him, but you have to at least be open to options going into the deadline. Uh, I mean, I could see Tanev wanting Tyler Myers' money, and I could see teams yeah. paying him. And uh, if you're getting into Tyler Myers' money, I, I don't think the Canucks are going to be able to keep him. But no. I also don't think you really should trade him right now because he's one. You only really have top three defensemen right now. I, I don't think Myers is quite in that. You got Edler, Tanev, and Hughes are your top three. Yeah, and Edler's only signed for one more year after this year as well. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Edler. I think no, Edler but... is going to. Edler might just keep signing these short term. But deals. if he retires, you know, then there's a big hole for the Canucks to try to fill as well. For sure. And really, the Canucks at this moment in time, the only defenseman they have signed after next season is Tyler Myers. Yeah. So there's there's a whole lot of kind of situations I think that need to be addressed on the blue line. Yeah, I mean, Jet Wu's a young guy who you know I still think is probably at least a year and a half, probably two years away from making an you know us making a roster spot on this team. But yeah, interesting times, man. Uh, regardless of what you think of the trade today, I do love this stuff. I love trades. I love speculating stuff. And yeah, man, I mean, I'm ready for playoff hockey. I am. Uh, and Tyler Madden, is is he your top prospect? No. Is he your top? Is he in your top five? Yes. Is he your top three prospects? Like, would you put him ahead of Lind? No, not, I wouldn't. Like I said before, I've still got Lind ahead of, of Madden. Yeah, so right you now. got Pod Colson, Hoglander, and then Lind, Madden? Yeah, and I'd even look... Uh, I mean, Madden, uh, he's certainly top 10. It's it's a question of where in there, because I still think pretty highly of Ole Olevi in, in that mix as well. Yep. Um, so Rafferty's still a prospect. I know an, he's, he's older. He's an older guy, but, but he's, he's a prospect. A, he's another guy that you got to take a look at. Um He's. It'd be hard not to put Madden in the top five. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe at number five or six in my rankings. But doesn't doesn't matter now. He's like I said. I think he's two or three years away from playing in the Canucks roster if he even makes it. Um, Toffoli helps them right now. They're a better team right now. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. We should be excited about that. And again, it's like the JT Miller trade. We it's going to take time to to see who won this trade. Right now, the Canucks have won that trade. That Miller pick has already gotten traded along with foot to the devils for Blake Coleman, who is well, in my opinion is nowhere near as good as JT Miller. No, uh, that, yeah, I, I was surprised what the devils got back for Coleman. I don't know a lot about Coleman to be fair. So yeah, me neither. I'm sure like if you look at, did a deep dive on his analytics, you know, he's probably a really good player. Um, but that seemed like a lot. So then, like I said, Five minutes before we started this podcast and news broke that the Canucks traded for Tyler Toffoli, instantly I was like, ooh, what's, you know, what did we give up to get him? Because I looked at what Coleman got, and I, I think Toffoli's a better player than Coleman. But again, I don't know a lot about Coleman. So, you know, I could be talking on my ass here. That's what we do best on, on the on this show. It is. Talk out of our asses. Um, interesting thing with the Devils as well. They, they also traded uh, Green. Uh, for a pick and a prospect he's 37 so you got a second and a prospect for him they're doing all this now once they traded green they technically don't have a gm a coach or a captain now they have an interim gm <laughs> an interim coach and a vacant captain spot once green left so hey, interesting stuff in jersey but they've done well with their returns there in my opinion but that canucks pick is now bounced again from uh from tampa to jersey so yeah pretty interesting stuff 
Shall we get into the free pour? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I well, mean, uh, I feel like this episode's gone by pretty quick. It's uh, it's uh, it it actually hasn't, according to the little ticker we got here. And we could probably keep on going, but let's get to the free pour. Let's do it, buddy. And it's time for the free pour open floor segment of the episode, and I'm just going to jump into it. And obviously with the news today of Tyler Toffoli being acquired by the Vancouver Canucks, I just got to say, I love this time of year. I know hearts can be broken, GMs, you know, can be given up the farm to acquire rental players, but I'm that super lame, cheesy guy that before I actually became active on Twitter this season, I was a lurker and I would follow all these like anonymous trade breakers, like 24 trade breaker, hockey buzz, all these guys. Um, and I just love it. I just love the speculation. And some of these random guys sometimes actually do end up calling trades before some of the big wigs like LeBron or Bobby Mack. Um, but yeah, man, I just love this time of year. It's just the speculation and you know, trying to see what your team's going to look like after the deadline and that final push to make the playoffs. And obviously, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. It's one of my favorite times of year outside of the playoffs as a hockey fan. Yeah, it is. It is a fun time of year. Um, I'm going back on a bit of a historical side again because that's what I like to do. And I also wanted to talk, touch on Black History Month. So I was trying to figure out a player that kind of spoke to me and uh my first thought was grant fear but that's everyone always talks about grant fear so i was going through my old hockey card collection and i decided to talk about tony mckegney do you know who tony mckegney is do you remember tony mckegney honestly i do not that's all right he uh he was definitely a prominent player in the 80s uh, he played 13 nhl seasons got 912 games in there and 639 points. A pretty wow. even split of goals to assist. 328 goals, 319 assists. Played with Buffalo, Quebec, Minnesota, Rangers, St. Louis, back to Quebec, and Chicago. Also played in Italy, the AHL, the IHL, the OHL, and represented Canada internationally. Actually wanted to talk about was him with the WHA, where he was signing to a deal with the Birmingham Bulls. And... The fans in Birmingham, this is Birmingham, Alabama, the fans in Birmingham were threatening to renege on their season tickets and were just basically throwing an outrage that the team was going to sign a black player. And Tony McKegney caught word of this, and this is in 1978, and he decided not to go and play in the WHA. And he ended up going into the NHL, uh, as I mentioned, had a, had a pretty long and prosperous career there. But having the fans in Birmingham in the year I was born say that we're not going to go because they have a black player is, is pretty crazy uh, the, this team only lasted three years anyways and then moved to the Central League and folded during their second year during the season so take that Birmingham for, for having to for doing that but anyways it kind of interesting story uh, that just a player who is still as recent as when I was born subjected to racism and Throughout his career, he dealt with a lot of things. And just a great quote to kind of end it from Tony McKegney. He said, one of the nicest things I hear from young people is they felt because I was there playing, they felt they could be accepted in hockey. I got a lot of feedback from people in Canada that they were accepted in the schoolyard or outdoor rink because they could point to me as being a person of color playing in the NHL. That's the biggest compliment for me. So I've never met Tony McKegney. I've got a lot of his old hockey cards. But he seems like a stand-up guy, had a great career, and dealt with a lot of shit. So, good on you, Tony McKegney. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to episode 26. Uh, it, it was a little bit of a roller coaster for us here. Like I said, when... You have the Canucks make a big trade right before you hit record, and your guest says that they can't show up right before you're about to record. All this homework that we've done just kind of all went in the blender, and uh, our our whiteboard just looks like uh, we're about to call a, a third and long or something right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say this. Uh, even though, you know, it was a roller coaster, uh, it was a fun episode to record. 
Um, but hopefully next week we'll be a little bit, well, actually probably not because we're recording the day of the trade deadline. So this might be two weeks in a row of just, you know, all over the shop. Could be Groundhog Day. The Canucks only play two games before the next podcast and we could have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, but hopefully we'll be, have a little more time to at least digest it than this whole uh, defoli in your face right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as we uh, close out the episode, uh, please give us a follow. Uh, we're the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter at Canucks Speak. You can give me a follow at Doug Venn. And I'm at Pete underscore gas and the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist is also available on Spotify. Get all the funky jams like this one right here. So gonna be an interesting week. Canucks fans, buckle up and uh, let's see where this goes. Until then, that's a wrap. Hasta luego.